Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interview Molly Borwerk, Head of Content Communications at the Data Observability Vendor Monte Carlo. As I mentioned in the episode, I asked Molly to be on as she has, in general, been a great community member of the data mesh learning community. And as Monte Carlo is quite well known in the data space for putting out high quality content on some key issues. The concept for the episode was to use Molly's superpowers at finding the most hot button issues, which Again, she's using to help create great content and figure out how to take her tool set as to how she drives towards interesting information about data and use that to drive your own internal discussions. What is it that's causing the most pain and and how are your people feeling? So I thought Molly would talk about some sophisticated social media monitoring setup, but instead she talked a lot about her journalism background and her key recommendation is to just go and interview a lot of stakeholders to extract their context. She recommends interviewing people from multiple sides of a challenge. So not just the data consumers, but the data producers, the data engineering teams, all of that. So you can get multiple perspectives. She also recommends trying to give people the space to tell their story and ask open-ended questions to really get at their perspective, not try and drive at a pre-specified answer. Molly talks about ways to make the other person feel valued by active listening and making the conversation mutually beneficial. It may be that this is a person you want to interview again. So building that relationship is crucial, not just trying to extract as much information that's only beneficial to you in a one-time manner. We dug a bit into the idea of blameless postmortems and how valuable those can also be for doing data mesh and how you can think about the same concepts around data downtime. How can you do this to prevent the same issue in the future? Overall, I think you will take away some great tips for building a better internal culture and making sure all data mesh constituents feel seen and heard. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
right. Super excited for this interview today. I've got Molly Vorwerk from Monte Carlo. She's part of the founding team and runs uh, communications and content for Monte Carlo. If people aren't familiar, Monte Carlo is putting out some really, really, really good content. Um, some of it has Molly's name on it. A lot of it just has uh, Molly's very uh, uh, great handiwork behind it, but <laughs> um, around a lot of data challenges within the community and uh, or, or data challenges across data mesh and many other um, aspects out there of, of what people are running across. The reason I asked Molly to be on is, is I think Molly's got this superpower around being able to zero in on what challenges people are facing and then finding people who are able to help answer those or answer some questions, not maybe even say this is the answer, but here is an approach, here is an answer around things. Um, and then summing that information up in uh, an easily um, consumable way. And, and what I think this is very useful for, is, I mean, yes, vendors, you, you want to take notes on, on how Molly does this, but you also, I think internally at companies that are implementing data mesh, it's so important to develop this listening aspect, this empathy and find where people are having these pain points and go and figure out how you want to approach those or, or at least even make people feel seen and heard. So, um, you know, uh, that's a lot here, but that that's, I think Molly's superpower is the ability to do all of that and wrap all of that up. So I'm really excited for, for this conversation. She's been also a phenomenal member of the data mesh community. So, uh, Molly, welcome. And if you don't mind, <laughs> could you give a, a little bit of an intro to yourself and your background and, and then we can jump into kind of the, the topics at hand? Yeah, of course. I mean, thank you for the very flattering uh, introduction. Superpower. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not Clark Kent, but I, I do what I can. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, so my name is Molly. I head up content and communications at Monte Carlo, which is a data observability company. We're kind of pioneering the category around, around data observability and data quality and, and stuff like that. So um, my background, I actually got my start in journalism. Um, I worked for um, USA Today, um, a bunch of local California publications, San Jose Mercury News, um, Orange County Register. Um, I went to Stanford and I majored in American studies, um, which was kind of a, you know, a bit of a frivolous major, but it was a very fun one. And I got to write a lot and I got to do a lot of research and learn a lot about American culture. I actually wrote my honors thesis on Elvis Presley, which was a lot of, a lot of fun, probably the most frivolous thing I've ever done, but you know, I don't regret it. Um, and then after that, I kind of um, cut my teeth in the world of tech and PR public relations. So a lot of um, working with, um, you know, companies like VMware, Ford, um, who else? A lot of gaming companies, too, um, trying to help them tell their stories and um, get interest from, you know, the media and the broader community. After that, I went over to Uber and I led their Uber engineering blog and the larger tech brand initiatives that we had. So I actually joined Uber at a really interesting time. Um, 
my first day was the day after the Susan Fowler blog post came out. So it was like very much kind of like a blindsiding, like, oh my gosh, like I'm about to lead the tech brand for a company that is having a major scandal. Um, and, you know, I, it was a very interesting time and I learned a lot about empathy and I learned a lot about helping people tell their stories in, in a way that is constructive um, to the broader community. Um, and we actually got really awesome content um, from that time. Um, and so at Uber, I was responsible for helping the engineers and data scientists tell their stories um, about the things that they were working on or about their careers. So I met a lot of really awesome people. I had an incredible team and incredible uh, mentors. And um, it was just a really interesting time to see a company in transformation and learning and growing from, um, you know, these experiences that they had and these things that they did in the past that were not so great, um, but really taking that into heart and uh, making constructive change. Um, so I worked at Uber for about three and a half years, and then I came over to Monte Carlo as the first uh, real kind of uh, go-to-market hire, so to speak, um, kind of um, on the, the marketing team and um, specifically content. And so alongside Bar Moses and Lior Gavish, our, our co-founders, um, we really kind of uh, produced a ton of content about data observability. Um, how, how do data teams tackle challenges of data quality and working with data in kind of a operationalized, productized, efficient, scalable way? Um, and so that's how I got um, involved with the Data Mesh Learning Group and met Scott and all the awesome people here. Um, obviously, Data Mesh is is a very very hot topic now, and a lot of our customers are actually migrating towards having a more distributed data architecture, whether that's a data mesh or a hybrid or something in between. And so it's been really great to learn from the community, and and that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> that's great, and it's very it's very helpful to to kind of understand the full journey. So. Like I said, you, you've been putting out a lot of great content. I think one aspect that I would say is really important for companies is this empathetic learning, right, Of and, and listening. So how are you going out there and doing this relative to the broader market? And then we can talk about how that could be applicable. So, you know, say there's a new topic that's kind of emerging how are you identifying that topic? How are you finding the people that are talking about it, whether it's talking about their pain or talking about their solution? Like, how do you recommend that first part? And then we can we can kind of transition that into how you might apply that internally at a company. Yeah, for sure. So um, one thing that I love about my job and that I loved about journalism when I did it um, was talking to people and hearing their stories and learning about what makes them tick and what's challenging and, um, and kind of taking that and turning a narrative into a, turning it into a narrative. So when you're a journalist and you're looking for a story, you don't want to write about the same thing that everyone else has written about. You want to have a new spin and you want to have a new angle. Um, and so that really requires you to dig deep into the questions that you ask, uh, your interviewees. And so, um, you know, I remember <clears throat> when I was uh, in college, I interned for the San Jose Mercury News, and there was a competitive um, uh, hot dog eating contest, I think Nathan's Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And ironically, two of the front runners both came from San Jose, which is kind of funny. 
um, Matt Stoney is one that one of them. And then the other one is um, Joey Chestnut. I don't know if people remember the, the hot dog eating contest, but um, every year they wrote a story about these two people and how they were both from San Jose and they were both going to Nathan's hot dog eating contest because, you know, it's two of our local celebrities in San Jose. Um, and so I was like, okay, how can I make this a different story that hasn't been told like a hundred times? Um, and so that's one example. Um, and so I forget what I did, but it was something about like how they trained or, you know, what their favorite part of the hot dog was. I forget. Um, but in any case, um, it's really a matter of like taking something that's been told a million times and, and turning it on its head. And you can like point to any good, like great American novel or any good piece of literature. And they take these familiar tropes and familiar storylines that people understand and can empathize with, but they make it different. And so when I, when I came to Monte Carlo, you know, one thing that we really try to solve for is helping people with their data quality issues and trusting their data. And so that required um, me to go in and talk to a bunch of people um, in the space at different companies and different roles um, about how they were tackling these problems. And obviously, you know, data monitoring, data observability is part of it, but there's so many other elements too. Um, that aren't related to the actual technologies and tools. Um, you know, there's a lot of cultural and organizational components. And I really credit the locally optimistic community with kind of giving me the opportunity to ask these questions. And so many people in that group have just been fantastic. Um, when I started my first few months um, talking to me about their data quality issues and, and what was top of mind for them as people who are working in data. Um, and then when I joined the data mesh community. Um, same thing. Everyone's been super open and responsive and very great um, to work with and really, really like um, generous with their time um, in helping me better understand the space and better understanding all the different angles that people come into it with in terms of when they're solving for data quality. And so it's it's helped me create um, content um, in kind of a, a different way than that's been done before. So if you were to look at, at taking kind of what you've learned there and applying it to a, a large enterprise that's trying to figure out what challenges are we having or what challenges are we having relative to our implementation or what challenges do we need to solve or focus on first in our implementation, would you say that are you more monitoring conversations that are going back and forth or are you saying start with the interviews and just go out there and kind of do your your kind of journalistic human interest story approach of starting with the interviews and and working backwards like how how would you think about taking that what you learned yeah. and, and applying it yeah that's a great question um so i would say that you know, one approach that I found particularly effective is um, understanding, um, you know, like let's say you have a technical problem or really any sort of kind of problem um, in the work, you know, in your work, whether it's technical or whether you're trying to solve something um, as, you know, you're, I don't know, a product manager and you're trying to, to resolve an issue with stakeholders. Um, I like to... I do like to approach it like you're trying to kind of um, understand all the sides of a story um, in terms of like, okay, like what's the perspective that this person is coming from? 
Um, you know, like if, if I'm trying to, like, for instance, like if you have a technical issue, let's say that you are, you know, because this is top of mind for me, like your, your, your company is struggling with data quality. Okay. Who are the stakeholders that are affected? So who do you need to talk to? You obviously need to talk to like the downstream consumers that use the data and that are flagging that these issues are occurring. You need to talk to the analysts that are working with the data and pulling ad hoc requests and understanding like how data quality affects them. You need to under, you need to talk to the data engineers or the, the staff architects or whoever they are to understand like how data quality, like how these data qualities issue issues come up in their own work, even if it's like, oh, we get pinged a million times a day by our downstream consumers and understand what the bottlenecks and challenges are for them before you can really kind of uh, put together a solution. Um, and it's kind of the same, same, same thing in journalism, right? Like when you're writing a story, you don't want to talk to just one person to understand, uh, you know, the, the challenge or the problem or the topic, because that come that becomes a very one-sided uh, article and you'll lose credibility. Uh, but if you're like a program manager, a product manager, or any kind of person or, or any kind of role where you're trying to wrangle cats, so to speak, it really helps to get as many perspectives as possible. So as a journalist, there's kind of a rule of thumb where you need at least like three different sources um, if you're writing a story about something, unless it's like a, you know, a Q&A, like one-on-one -on -one profile. And even then it helps to get background from people. Um, and I would say, you know, you can take a similar approach with solving a technical problem during, particularly during the like planning and listening process. I think in kind of the DevOps life cycle, there is a, um, there's a really famous graphic that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with where it kind of looks like an infinity sign or a figure eight. And one of the steps is always planning. And planning is really when you go around and you talk to everyone that is affected by this problem or everyone that's involved in building your technical architecture and try to understand their perspective and what they're trying to get out of it. Like what, what are the problems that they're trying to solve with it? And obviously, you know, it's not it's not something that is handled in a silo. And so I would really encourage everyone to talk to every everyone, every every level about this. Like you have to get executive buy-in for the type of, of decisions that you're making, particularly when money is involved. Like you cannot make a, it's really hard to make a technical decision with particularly with like a, you know, if you're trying to buy a SaaS solution or you're trying to migrate to, let's say like a data mesh or something, and it requires, um, you know, a lot of input and a lot of work from other people. Um, you can't do it without their, their buy-in particularly. You can't do it with the, the, you know, the head of data's buy-in. You also can't do it without the buy-in from like the, the architects and kind of the more strategic folks um, in the room. And so having these kind of listening and, and empathy sessions, I like to call them sinks, um, you know, in my own work um, can be really valuable and really, um, and really impactful. I don't, I don't know if that answered your question. That, that was kind of a ramble. <laughs> no, I, well, and I think what you hit on a, a lot there um, is something that's, that's coming up more and more in a lot of these conversations about people who have been successful <laughs> have been developing empathy, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but then you create the you, you go and you interview enough people that you can create the full picture and you can share that picture in an empathetic way with all um, stakeholders, right? Like if, if you're trying to go to data producers and tell them, 
your changes are breaking all this stuff for people downstream, that feels like blame. And so, you know, human Mm -hmm. nature says, okay, I need to push back on this versus if you can wrap up what these changes are impacting people and say, okay, here or here, here's what your downstream stakeholders are, are feeling. How can we work with you to prevent these same challenges from, from hurting these people downstream? Right. Right. Um, I think that's the, I had a, a conversation with, with Max Schulze from Zalando, which um, for listeners, it will be published, but we're doing um, a little uh, kind of thing around uh, Data Nova as well. So, you know, it'll be published a little bit later than <laughs> the typical of, of within a few days of the interview happening. But a lot of what he was talking about was that same thing. When, when you're, when you're hitting on these things in, in conversation, how are you identifying what are the key pain points versus what are kind of individual gripes or what are the, those types of aspects? Because, you know, I think this is the, the biggest challenge in an organizational setting for data mesh is what, where are we missing things? What, what are our gaps? What's the, what, what's, really top of mind for folks? And is this an, an, a challenge that we can get a quick win on and get people really excited about the momentum? Or is this a longer term challenge that we then have to make sure that it's got a, a bright light shined on it, that we're working on it? You know, it's, it's always kind of those balance of what do we tackle and when, but like, how are you identifying what's the actual challenges and what, what, what are the patterns that you're seeing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so on a tactical level, one thing I always do before every interview, I'm no matter who I'm talking to is I always prepare a list of questions, which I know sounds a little bit, um, basic or a little juvenile, but, um, but it really helps me stay focused during the conversation and make sure that I'm touching on everything I need to touch on because people have limited time. Um, so for instance, if you're trying, if you're trying to understand, you know, challenges, um, one other, you know, one other approach is I, I keep it really open-ended, um, with these questions because I don't want to pigeonhole someone or kind of push them towards a certain answer. Um, particularly when you are talking about, you know, what's top of mind for someone or what's challenging um, about, you know, what they're working on, whether it's migrating to a data mesh or, or dealing with cultural or organizational challenges, um, keeping it open-ended to start. And then from there, trying to like dig deeper with every response that they give um, and being a really active listener. Um, I think that's really important. And I think that that's something that, you know, um, People who are starting out in, in content and journalism and as writers, um, I think that um, it's very easy to say like, okay, I, I, you know, I want to get to the bottom of what's challenging about building a data mesh, and here's what I uh, here's what I think is challenging going into the conversation. Um, so you are predisposed to ask questions that will lead you down, you know, down those routes and kind of get people to say say a, not say a certain answer, but you know, if you have a very specific question where it's like, you know, what about, um, you know, using 
Redshift to build your data mesh is challenging when it comes to X, Y, and Z, then that forces them to think in a very narrow, uh, like very, very boxed in way. Whereas if you just come into it and you say like, okay, you're migrating to a data mesh from your perspective, what's most challenging? Totally okay if it takes you a few minutes to think about your answer. Um, and then as they're talking, being an active listener and ensuring that you're, you know, you're not coming into it with a pre preconceived notion of what you think they're going to say or what you want them to say based on your content. It's more just what, what do they have to say? And then shaping the article around that um, or shaping, shaping the decision around that. Like in my context, it's shaping the article or shaping the piece of content. But if you're, if you're a project manager, or a program manager, and you're responsible for helping the team, you know, um, adopt a new technology, technological paradigm or architecture or tool or whatever it is, um, you can't go into it with a preconceived notion of what you want, uh, what you want the solution to turn out to be. You have to really understand the challenges that your stakeholders are facing. And so um, I think more specifically going back to your question, um, I would say that, you know, being a very active listener and being very open-minded and not trying to develop an opinion on something before you talk to stakeholders can be very, um, you know, very effective. Um, and I think active listening is something that we kind of take for granted and can be harder to do, particularly in a remote work first world where you're on Zoom and, and Zoom fatigue and burnout is very, very easy. And so it's really hard to have empathy for other people um, and the challenges that they're they're working on. Um, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And so I think just, um, I was actually talking to a friend about this um, and she was saying that something that she does when she's feeling like, you know, kind of boxed in and burnt out and like, you know, empathy is lacking is she just kind of walks around her neighborhood and, and sees, you know, she sees people in their windows and people in their, you know, um, doing about going about their daily lives. And it just kind of reminds her that she's not the only person that is is suffering or she's not the only person that is dealing with something. And I think just being in the data mesh community and seeing everyone who is is making the shift or or wants to to go down this journey of a having a distributed data team, distributed data architecture, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it can be like a helpful reminder that a lot of people are dealing with this. You're not the only person dealing with it. And so it's important to have empathy about, um, you know, the different perspectives that people in your organization are coming from when you're trying to make this shift. And it can help you kind of be a bit more unbiased and a bit more, um, you know, a bit more measured about uh, actually um, implementing these changes. Right. Yeah. I, I, that's kind of one of the reasons that of starting the podcast was that there's so many people that have so many questions and so many challenges and there just wasn't as much of deep dive content into here is one challenge, mm -hmm. you know, here is how a f multiple different people are approaching this one challenge. And that's what I'm hoping to to do with it. So that way, people feel like they're seen and heard because they're, they're, um, there's content that says that, no, this is a common pain point and you're not the only one who, who hasn't solved it. Um, but what's, what's kind of funny is the first thing I wrote down in my notes was um, give people the space to tell their story. And a lot of what you're, you, you keep circling back on is this, um, 
be prepared so that that people feel like they're um, that you value their time, so that when you're asking these questions, that people feel like you're you put in the effort that they're <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that you are like okay, this is worthy to do something uh, where where I'm going to put in the work to actually make this a useful conversation, and then um, a lot about active listening and and keeping it open ended, and then how. I mean, maybe this this might be a simplistic question because I think you have this innately and I, I think I sometimes have this innately too of the pattern recognition aspect. But how are you finding that um, when the same themes keep coming up, like how are you noticing those themes? How how can people start to drill into those themes uh, mm-hmm. of what are the actual challenges that you think that are more widespread than people might know? Yeah. So if you're, if you're trying to, let's say you're like a project manager or product manager, or even like you're the person at your company who's responsible for implement, you know, being the the point person for, for implementing the the data mesh or, or whatever technical solution you, you want to, to implement or, or migrate to. I think one thing that's been really helpful for me, and this goes back to my experience as a journalist is recording obviously with consent to recording conversations. And um, I think in California, there's a law now, like as a, you know, when I started in journalism, they just had passed a law that was like, you can't record a conversation over the phone without mutual consent. And I, I, you know, I I think with GDPR and everything, the same, the same stands if you're using like gong or, or even just your iPhone to, to record a conversation. Um, But in any case, um, recording the conversation, taking copious notes, um, I, I am, you know, one thing that one of my, I guess, kind of like, uh, not party tricks, but I'm really good at taking verbatim notes, um, and just kind of like typing very fast and trying to take everything down so that when I'm synthesizing them and trying to understand what the common themes are in that conversation and what common themes are between conversations, it's very easy to do that because you have, um, this, this historical record of, of what was said, um, and I think that's something that um, can be very, very helpful when you're trying to synthesize and, and align on common themes. Um, and then I guess another another best practice when you're trying to identify themes um, is, you know, I I like I mentioned, I take a ton of notes and I really try to kind of understand what um, the, the more important and more significant points are um, in, in these conversations. And I think part of that comes with doing your own research going into it and before the conversation, um, you know, whether that's like you, let's say that you are, you know, I wrote an article when I started at Monte Carlo about migrating to Snowflake. And so I did a ton of research about, um, you know, what just on Google, you know, what what other people had written about it, what it seemed like um, larger challenges would be going to like um, Stack Overflow, InfoQ, some of those other, com- or Quora, some of those other communities and seeing what people had already written about it. So that when I was going into these conversations with people that I was interviewing, I, I kind of could identify what I anticipated might come up. Um, obviously, like leaving, you know, 
leaving people the space to, uh, to, to talk about what they wanted to talk about and what was actually challenging about migrating from an on-premises to, to a cloud data warehouse. Um, but um, kind of going in with that knowledge and that research helped initially, you know, with, with understanding what the themes might be. And then once I have the interviews, going through my notes, going through the transcript to see what, what keywords or, or talking points came up time and again, um, and when, when did the person I was talking to, when did their eyes light up, you know, what, what was really important to them? And I think that that goes back to, to active listening and coming into something with a very open mind and just having empathy for, for where they're coming from and what's important to them. Um, you know, when I'm talking to someone, I never want it to be a waste of time and I want them to feel like they, they enjoyed talking to me and they enjoyed spending their time with me. And so I try to, you know, I try to make it fun and I try to make it like, very focused on them and very focused on um, on what they want to talk about specifically, um, because as a journalist, um, you know, one of the things is that one, one thing that you really have to do is like you have to create or you have to build relationships with your sources so that they're willing to talk to you again and work with you again. And I think that makes that boils down to making people feel good about themselves and um, feel like their their time is valued and um, they they enjoy talking to you. Um, and so those are all kind of like things that I've, I've picked up along the way and advice I would give to people, um, if they're trying to spearhead, um, you know, a discussion around migrating to a data mesh or migrating to anything or, or doing any kind of like significant tech, uh, undergoing any kind of significant technical challenge at their company, um, is just going into it as an active listener with empathy, but having done your research and not, not just expecting the person to tell you everything you want to know and kind of be like, all right, like I'm talking to you, like give me the information. No, it's like, Hey, like I, I did my research. I generally know what, what we're talking about, but I'm not an expert. You're the expert. Help me understand this better because I really value your opinion and other people value your opinion. Um, so th that's kind of the, the rambling, uh, rambling advice I would give. No, I think a lot of that's really good. One thing that I would circle back on is I personally find it very, very difficult to maintain being present mm -hmm. while also taking good notes. So I take I take notes while I'm doing these, um, but I take very, very high level notes so that for themes that, that might be useful further in the conversation, as well as for doing my bottom line up fronts, you know, so that way people can figure out um, if this is an episode that they want to dig into, because uh, we, we do put out a fair bit of content yeah. here. And I don't yeah, want yeah. people to, to feel like they have to. But I, I think a lot of what you're talking about is, as well comes with practice, right? Of you're not going to nail It's kind of like with Danish, you're not going to nail it right out of the gate. You're, yeah. this, so, but, you know, one thing that that I was actually expecting you to talk more about um, coming into this, so it's kind of funny that you're talking about this, is I use a bunch of different technologies and things like that to look for patterns and, and to kind of pattern match. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of different conversations on Twitter and on LinkedIn and things of what people are saying about what what are my common themes? But yeah, it's like a lot more for you that you're you're taking it from conversations, which I think is is um, a very useful aspect. If if 
if someone were trying to like if we could jump into the the trying to jump into somebody's shoes if someone were trying to figure out what is my what what is our biggest challenge to data quality you know something that's near and dear to your heart um how would you recommend that they start to go and ask those questions internally and and address that yeah yeah and i think you brought up a really good point about like there's so much activity on data twitter now and in these data uh, Slack groups about, um, you know, any topic under the sun related to uh, data engineering, data analytics, uh, you know, whatever, whatever topic you want to address, whether it's cultural, technical, organizational, you, you know, you name it. And there's a lot of people on there with very strong opinions. Um, and I think it can be very, um, you know, I, I think it can be very easy just to, uh, generalize and say like, okay, well, because so-and-so who's a very loud voice in the room on data Twitter is saying it, it must be true for everyone. And so I'm going to use that as like, um, my, my, uh, my, my baseline. Um, but what I found just working at Monte Carlo and talking to our customers and talking to prospects and talking to people in these communities is that everyone's experience, while there are commonalities and themes, like they're all different. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you get a lot of, of street cred and you get a lot of, um, you know, points if you actually take the time to sit down with someone and talk to them um, and multiple people too. So you're not just coming at it from, you know, what Joe Schmo said on Twitter is, is the gospel um, because everyone's, everyone's experience um, is very different. And so if you're going about it like internally in your organization, I would say talking to people at, you know, different levels um, with different roles, um, and think about like, okay, how do different people use data? How, how do people different, how do, how do different, you know, functions, um, in the organization use data? I know with data mesh, there's this kind of movement towards, um, you know, or not movement towards, but one, one way of approaching it is saying like, okay, marketing, sales, recruiting operations, they're all using data in different ways. So, um, make so the data mesh kind of facilitates that because it makes it easy for people to access data in those different functional groups um but then one of you know the flip side of that is that there might be you know duplicate data or duplicate like um, repeated um, processes and technologies um that uh, might might cause data quality issues down the line um so one way to kind of understand how that might be affecting people is to talking to talking to each of the different functional groups, even if even if it does take a lot of time and a lot of different resource and a lot of resources, um, they, they're each having, you know, they each work with data in different ways. Um, and so it's important to understand where they're coming from and what the issues that they might, they might be facing are, um, as well as talking to like your centralized data platform team or your data engineering team or people who are kind of the ones responsible for actually building the data mesh um, or moving towards the data mesh, rather um, understanding where they're coming from and then taking all of those conversations and synthesizing them putting together, like I know in, in software engineering, there's a common practice of putting together an RFC or like a request for, um, you know, a, a kind of a proposal about what you want to build and why you want to build it. And, and part of that process is talking to different stakeholders. Um, you can't put together a, a good RFC if you haven't done that. Um, and it's similar to, to writing an article or really putting together any piece of writing or any argument 
whether it's an RFC or an article or um, a proposal or just like a kind of a, at, at Monte Carlo, we use Notion for a lot of our product um, development and product management, um, kind of scrappier versions of RFCs. But I remember at Uber when when engineers would put them together, it was like a very long and involved process. And um, and it was, but it was an important one because, you, you know, you couldn't go into something and spend the resources and spend the time without getting um, buy-in from other people. And I think having those conversations with as many people as possible, uh, you know, without being ridiculous about it, like you don't need to talk to, to every single data person at your company, but, but talking to someone who is on the marketing analytics team or talking to someone on the data platform team or talking to someone on the data ops team, like, or whatever teams you have that are working with data to get like a varied, um, you know, varied perspectives is really, really important. Um, and so I think that that would kind of be my advice there. I, I think you hit on something. So DataStax has this concept of a, a TIL, which is a today I learned, you know, TIL. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are about customer interactions about, you know, here's the sales thing that, that uh, I learned about this prospect or about what they want or what, you know, uh, how they're using DataStax or, or whatever. But I think this same concept as to encouraging people to share more of their context could be interesting. How you do that, how you shift your culture towards that is a uh, an open-ended question where I don't think I have a good answer off the top of my head. But I think a lot of what you're talking about as well is you're you're going and you're extracting this information and summing it up for others. Mm-hmm. But like, how do we? And I'm not asking you to to solve this problem for <laughs> the world, but yeah. how do we, in general, think about encouraging people to share that context when they when they have it or when they have an insight that kind of flash of inspiration? And more regularly share kind of what are their challenges in in a blameless type of approach, right? Yeah, it is really a cultural shift um, in in site. Re- <clears throat> excuse me, in site reliability engineering and DevOps, there's a concept of blameless postmortem, and um, I'm sure you know a lot of folks listening are familiar with it. Um, and the Google SRE handbook uh, has been really really instrumental to me as I try to to grok um, you know what, you know, data observability and kind of applying these principles of uh, creating like a kind of self-healing, like self-healing blameless processes for tackling data quality. Um, And a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the inspiration behind it is really like uh, SRE and uh, in DevOps. And there's this principle of blameless postmortem and it's, it's really a cultural shift um, and, and I don't know who was, you know, responsible for starting it. I don't, you know, like for, for the the first data engineer at Google or whatever company was like, okay, when, when an issue happens or when, when I faced a challenge or I, I learned something, I'm going to tell people about it in a blameless, like supportive way so that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not attacked for having caused this problem or, you know, having, having deployed the code to cause this problem, or I'm not attacked for, for having done something that might not have been the best way to do it. Instead, we turn that into a learning lesson. Um, 
And, you know, I don't know who ultimately uh, started this movement, but I think it's one that we can apply to to data and data mesh in particular, because, um, you know, people don't, um, they don't become better at what they're doing by being attacked for making mistakes. They have to take, uh, they have to take, they have to turn mistakes into learning opportunities, um, into opportunities to, to grow and become better. Um, and I think that, you know, one thing that, uh, Monte Carlo as a company, we really pride ourselves on, um, is, like we have this principle of shipping and iterating, um, like at a startup, um, one thing, you know, there are many, there are many, you know, there are a lot of things you can take away from working at a startup. And I would say that there are so many, you know, horror stories of people of working at startups and, you know, under very terrible conditions and not building a culture of, um, of balance. And, um, but I think one thing about startups that I think larger organizations can, can probably learn from is this idea of, of shipping and iterating and like um, not being judgmental or, um, you know, uh, not being judgmental or attacking people for, for making a mistake, um, but kind of treating it as a growth opportunity and a, a learning lesson and say, and, and I think the reason it applies so well to code is that it's very easy to fix code. Like obviously, once you once you make a, you know once you once you make a change and like the site goes down, the damn it, like there's damage done. Like no no, you know there's damage done. But because software applications are so complex and there are so many things that can go wrong, I think that there is definitely a general understanding that it's not you know it's not a human error necessarily, or like it shouldn't be construed as a human error, and we shouldn't be blaming you know, Jill from the, you know, Jill from the the front end team for deploying this change that affects everything because um, there's a principle of, you know, trying to make the machine so smart that they can automate away human error. And I think that, you know, data teams um, can start applying a similar mindset when it comes to, you know, um, uh, trying to be empathetic and take, um, you know, take every opportunity, every, every failure is an opportunity to learn and grow. And I think um, kind of going back to what we do at Monte Carlo is we definitely, um, there's actually someone on our sales team who does an amazing job of this whenever he, you know, whenever, whenever he um, faces a difficulty or a challenge, he turns it into a learning opportunity for the rest of the organization. And he's like, this happened to me, not my strongest moment, but I learned from it and I'm growing from it so that other people can also learn from it and grow from it. And I think when we become more open, um, more open-minded and understanding that no one is perfect, um, it becomes much easier to share these lessons. Um, and it's something that I try to do with my team too. Um, and it's, you know, vulnerability is important and vulnerability is powerful. And so that, I guess that would be, uh, you know, my, my, my answer to that, that question. Well, I think, you know, the concept of constructive criticism, but maybe even changing the word criticism, right? When, when you yeah. think about how human relationships grow in a positive, healthy manner, it's by being able to share what, you know, how something impacted them without necessarily yeah. saying you did this versus this was the impact 
And so then that person can either choose to take that to heart or not. And if they don't, then, you know, it will probably cause further damage to the relationship. So there's that aspect to it, which I think embedding that into your, your cultures is, is important that you can have open discussions about these are challenges. These are the, you know, I think, I think it was Barr that had talked about this on some podcast. Um, but every time you have a data downtime issue or, or whatever that, you as a team swarm around, why did this happen? And and you go to fix the root cause of it mm-hmm. or what what was the the specific thing that caused this and is it fixable? You know, if it's external data, you put some protections around, okay, if this data comes in in a corrupted fashion, okay, we do this. Or you, you kind of start to put those protections in place so that, when inevitably something goes wrong, that it doesn't cause nearly as much damage. And and I think thinking about that ahead of time, but not trying to solve for every problem, right? Not trying to put in a protection for, okay, well, if, you know, this insane, you know, once in a lifetime thing types of type of thing happens, uh, we'll be ready for it. And it's like, okay, but you've got a million of those. So you're going to spend all of your time trying to prevent um, these things from happening. And, and maybe you just say, if something looks this weird, don't act on it. And that it doesn't matter what that thing is. You don't have to specify at, uh, down to a certain degree. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really helpful. And I think if I were to, to, to sum up a lot of what we've talked about, it's, so many of these challenges in your organization, people are feeling them on a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. seek out people that are doing that and, and give them the space to feel like they're heard and seen and that they, you know, kind of make it a protective type of bubble, which which is somewhat difficult sometimes with recording where you go, mm-hmm. look, like, this is only between us. So I don't know how you can you can do that, but you know, make it something where you're not saying this person said X, Y, Z, but it's okay. I've heard from, I've talked to four or five different people and this was a common theme. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same thing in journalism where I think until you're in a culture where there is a blameless attitude, you do kind of have to protect your sources as to who said X or Y or Z. I think a lot of times my pushback is it doesn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. I've heard this from one person. Is this something that I should dig into further because I've heard it and this was interesting. So I'm going to look at this um, and see if this is more widespread versus was this a one-off, but, you know, trying to say, oh, uh, you know, Molly is, is talking about this. So Molly's raising a stink. And then the person who feels like it's their fault, until you're in that kind of blameless type of culture, then there can be backlash and things like that. So I think making sure that people feel safe, that they can, they can tell you what they're, what's actually going on and what they're actually feeling and seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes just 
give people the open uh, space to have a gripe session <laughs> and just be empathetic. Yeah. And, and one might- one small point too, I was talking to someone on my team about this is is important. It's important to give people the benefit of the doubt often yeah. when you're going into these conversations. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and I think the the preparation and and making people feel like. Uh, for me, these these calls, these interviews that I'm doing for the the podcast, a lot of them I don't specifically even have the the set question list because I have the set topic list right. of here's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, let's figure out how we meander towards that. But but I think I'm I'm trying to make sure that I respect people's time from that. I think that's a really important thing of. Hey, you tell me what are all your challenges go is mm-hmm. not is not a nearly helpful tactic versus hey, I want to I want to get to here. Here's the endpoint that I want to get to from an information understanding standpoint, but I don't want us to go down a set path and I I'm not looking for specific answers. I think however you can communicate that is is really important. I think you you shared a lot of good tips around that. Um, you know, I, I want to be cognizant of time. I, I think we're even a little bit over, so hopefully you're you're not pushing back anything for for anybody. But um, is there any advice that you would give for for people that are really looking to figure out what are our pains internally as to what what you've been we've been talking about and what your skill set enables you to do if people were to try and apply that um, internally is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think might be a little bit of a useful even even tactic rather than you know super high level strategy is there any kind of tips and tricks you've got or mm-hmm. yeah that's a good question um, I mean I I, I think it also kind of goes back to um, giving benefit of the doubt and assuming positive intent. Um, it's much easier to have these conversations when you don't assume that, you know, um, like if you're going into a difficult, maybe not difficult conversation, but let's say you're, you're facing a technical challenge and you have, you have a, a preconceived notion of how you want it to turn out and you know you're going to talk to someone who has a, a differing point of view. Um, it, it, it helps to assume positive intent um, and it might sound a bit naive to do that, but um, it makes it much easier to go in um, and, and feel good about the conversation and feel as though um, you're going to get something productive out of it versus just pointing fingers. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and I think it kind of extends to living in this, you know, uh, pandemic, post-pandemic, wherever we are, this world where it's just kind of crazy and, you know, like everyone is kind of um, at their wits end and and dealing with a lot, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, And I think it helps to go into the, to any conversation or any interview or any discussion that you are having and assume, assume, assume positive intent. Um, So that would be kind of my, my parting, my parting advice. 
You're, you're a much more uh, positive, enthusiastic person than I am. So <laughs> That's I, not true. I, I, I like that, that there's some of the uh, non-grump uh, aspect <laughs> here. But, um, well, so again, this has been so phenomenal. And I think it's really helpful for people to, to take your superpowers and try and try and mold it and, and learn how to do the similar aspects for, for the internal um the internal shaping of their data culture. I think, I think a lot of what you talked about really, really could help not just to specifically identify challenges, but for overall data culture side, um, where can people find you? What, what are you looking for people to reach out to you for? Yeah. We'll drop links in the show notes to make it easy. So you don't have to spell out like uh, sure. anything. <laughs> but. Sure, sure, sure. So um, I, I'm probably most, you can, people can find me pretty easy easily on LinkedIn. I have a very distinct last name. Um, and then obviously like if, you know, if, and, and one thing that, um, shameless plug, like we're always trying to, to talk to new people about their experiences, uh, with data mesh for, for content or just for our own, own research as, as we build our product and, 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 and everything like that. So if anyone is, is interested in, in talking and sharing their experiences, feel free to, to reach out to me. Um, M for work at montecarlodata.com. Very happy to chat to people. I'm always, I'm always curious to learn and, and, um, and gather more resources for, for stories and, and, and content. So, um, in any case, those are kind of the two ways that are probably easiest to reach me and obviously follow our blog, um, montecarlodata.com slash blog. We write a lot. Um, and yeah, just, um, this was great. Thank you for having me, Scott. Yeah. And this was a phenomenal conversation. And I, and I, I think, um, the more people process side, I think this is an important starting point because I think people need to feel like they can bring up challenges that they're having. And so I, I think there's a lot of learnings here. I know some people really want technical <laughs> deep dives into things, but I think data mesh is very much people process first. And, and I think, like I said, you've got a superpower that is, uh, you know, very, very honed. And so if other people can learn to be, you know, 20% as good as you, then, then they'll be in, in, in a good place. So thank you, Molly, so much for being on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I want to again thank my guest, Molly Vorwerk, Head of Content and Communications at the Data Observability Vendor, Monte Carlo. As always, you can find her contact info and uh, other interesting links in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around 
your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank you.